Welcome to another episode of Cautious Coffee. It has been months now. I don't know how long. Uh, three, four months. Maybe? It hasn't been that long. No, really? it's been it's been like two months. I think the last episode that we recorded was prior to my trip to Greece. Okay, okay, and and me with school and work. It's uh, chaos. It's really, chaos. Really, really chaos and priorities. I couldn't prioritize Cautious Coffee, so it fell off the train. Uh. You know, it was back on the track and it finally caught up and we're able to record uh, another episode to finish out. Get ready to finish out season one, as promised. We're not going anywhere. What about you, Austin? What, what happened? You rolled out a whole other podcast on us. <laughs> well, the other podcast, it's the Business Communicators. Uh, we're in season four of that podcast. And, you know, that's more of a, you know, comms marketing focus. And so... I think, you know, there's probably a few people that listen to this one that listen to that one as well. But uh, we, you know, the season that we do runs probably mid to late fall through early spring. And uh, so we were kind of on hiatus, I guess, when we were doing most of the Cautious Coffee. There was some overlap for the first few episodes. But yeah, we are actually trying a new platform right now, StreamYard, to uh, record these episodes. And we wish that we could do it in person right now. d and I were hyped about it. And then Monday night, I had to text and say, hey, I was just exposed to COVID-19. So uh, here we are, virtual. So we're making the best of it. But, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, this new setup looks pretty good, Austin. Uh, I'm excited about it. It looks, you know, we were having some issues with, you know, kind of coordinating and all the editing. And we just want to make it as easy as easy as possible. Uh, so this looks wonderful. And uh, I'm excited about today's guest. Today's episode, uh, we're following up with an episode we brought you all earlier in the season about you know finances, about money, about debt. You know, I felt that we didn't do you all a service. You know that we wanted to give you give you the quality content. Uh, so we wanted to bring on someone uh, that knows what they're talking about in this Wait, area. And that's you mean what, you mean we're not subject matter experts on everything? We are. We have, opinion, not we have opinions on everything. Full disclaimer: uh, Our guest today is not giving financial advice. Okay, he's just here to answer some of our questions. Hopefully, Austin has a couple of questions. I have a couple of questions. Uh, and he's going to break down to us, you know, his uh, his journey into uh, entrepreneurship. So, you know, I, I applaud him for that, you know, taking that step and, and venturing out on his own. Uh, and also he is a new father. He has a, a gorgeous baby girl and and uh, he's, you know, not long. He's been married. Uh, he's maybe a year. I think he just celebrated his anniversary. Beautiful wife. Uh, so he has a lot going on. I'm really excited to bring you all. Uh, Tony Colunga. Hey, Tony. Guys, how are you? Welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, congrats on the, uh, you know, the the newborn. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, an exciting time to say the least. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. A year of marriage and uh, our baby girl is now three months. So if you do the math, we didn't wait long to uh, start the family. <laughs> All right. So before we get into anything, I've got to ask you, we did a we did a, a marriage episode. I think it was like episode seven of the podcast I heard that. or episode yeah, six. I heard yeah. yeah. Uh, what advice can you give me for, you know, getting engaged and uh, getting married sometime in the spring? Date still to be determined. But uh, what, what can you tell me? Should I run for the hills? Should I uh, you know, get married now for the tax purposes before we get to 2022? I mean, what's the move? What a loaded question, right? Um, you know, I think with finance, a lot of uh, recommendations and solutions that we make are all relative. And I think that's similar to, to relationships. So 
I would have to know more. I'd have to know more about the uh, the potential misses or the wife to be, and the know more about yourself. Um, I think listening, right? Listening is the best. You know, one of the things that I I knew right away that I wanted to make my wife my wife uh, was when she was able. There were times early on we were able to sit across the table from each other and have the conversations that needed to be had. So um, I think if you have that, the communication aspect. It's uh, the cheesy kind of, um, you know, you hear it all the time, but communication is key. Tony, don't come on here dancing around all these questions, man. All right. <laughs> all right. Austin asked you, you know, for, for a bit of advice as a, a newly married man, you know, this is cautious coffee. Okay. We yeah. are. We're supposed to dip conversations. I love the accountability. <laughs> uh, and, yeah. The, and the challenge. So uh, what advice would I give? A real advice. Enjoy it. Right. Enjoy all the ups and downs. Uh, it's it's challenging. And um, and look, we're only a year in. Right. Talk to me in five, 10, 20 years from now. <laughs> you all dated a while. Uh, right. We dated for five years. Uh, I knew I was going to marry her within the first year. I knew early on. Um, great woman. D-Ray, you know her. Uh, she's an intellect. She's beautiful within, externally, internally. Uh, she's just a great person and, and empowers me. Right. And that's the I think for me, that's the key is that's the type of partner I want to give myself to and the type of partner that's going to reciprocate. But it comes with its challenges, too. Right. It's not all fun and games. So absolutely. Yeah, no pressure, you no pressure, no diamonds. So two different, two different <laughs> lives, two different lives you brought uh, and, and, you know, merged. Uh, Austin, you don't know the story of how Tony and I met. No, tell me. Uh, I met Tony through his wife, Abana, who was wanting to move in with Tony. That's okay, right. They were wanting to cohabitate and she needed oh. to someone to sublease uh, a room in, you know, she had another roommate situation. So there's a listing on Craigslist. I had just been in Houston. I don't know, a couple of months. And I answered the listing, went and met Abana. I was like, oh, she's awesome. Uh, and her roommate, Paolo. Him, him and I are like almost splitting images of one another, like separated at birth. Uh, and we got along really well. Paolo was really uh, suspicious and, and skeptical of, you know, finding a roommate on Craigslist. I would be too. Absolutely. So it's just one of those. One of those. There's things. more to that story. There's more to that story. Than I think. And uh, yeah, you're if you want to hear right. the full story. If you want to tell hear the full tell, story, tell, you gotta you gotta you gotta subscribe to our Patreon. Just search Cautious Coffee. Go. So if you're hearing the story right now, thank you for subscribing, Tony. Back to you. <laughs> right. No, I mean, can I tell the the yeah, yeah, version? Really. <laughs> yeah. So um, we did want to move in together. Abana was uh, uh, had a roommate, Paolo, who's a really good friend of ours, and um, you know she was in a lease and and she had to get out, or uh, but we had to find another roommate for Paolo. And initially we were kind of going through different candidates and he just wasn't feeling it. Right. And one day uh, we find D-Ray, enter D-Ray and, uh, and Paolo had just messaged Abana saying, you know what, uh, this isn't something I want to do via Craigslist. I don't want to get a roommate via Craigslist. Right. I know you want to move in with this guy and great guy. I get it, but, um, but let's hold off. Right. And uh, just later that day, I a bond, it was kind of worked up. And I said, you know what, let's just uh, let's pray about it. Let's uh, let 
you know, the universe do what it does. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, we'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, we took a nap. Literally, when we woke up from the nap during that time, Paolo and the Dira had met. Hey, uh, love the guy. Good to go. Let's move forward. And the rest is history. That's awesome. <laughs> true story, Austin. This is a true story true of story. how... Uh, Tony came into my life and I think I haven't seen Tony in a couple of years. We were having some scotch at some, you know, swanky bar in Midtown. Maybe Not I don't sure. remember. Can swanky and Midtown go to, or can those go to Hi, it was, it was, it was downtown? It was public whiskey. I don't know. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> Just had to try to save your reputation, D-Ray, but we know you're not the, uh, you're the party animal. So. Yeah, no no idea where we were, but it was a good time. So back to uh, topic. Tony is the found, recent founder, uh, One Oak Wealth Management. Uh, let's start there. Let's start there, Tony, a little bit about how you got into finance, what you're doing, what, what inspired you to venture out on your own uh, and, and differentiate uh, your value proposition from everything else that's out there? Loaded question. Great question. So I started, I've been in the financial service industry for 16 years. Uh, started as a part-time job in college, I'm a finance major. I, um, I worked at the bank as customer service. And the idea was just, uh, you know, I needed money working uh, through college. And um, I, I decided that I liked the, the field, right? Um, one of the things that being in the financial service industry has allowed me to do is meet people. And um, I'm a firm believer in, in stories. Everyone has a story. And so as time progressed, I you know, was climbing the corporate ladder and I, I hit a, a, a snag and um, there was a ceiling that uh, I just couldn't break through. Uh, and so I decided after 16 years of serving through various roles that uh, I wanted to build my own uh, company. And the company is One Oak Wealth Management. So we're a comprehensive financial solutions firm uh, we lead with comprehensive financial planning. We specialize in planning, investments, insurance. So um, that's in a nutshell how I formed uh, One Oak. How's that building going? Went out on your own, all right? No safety yeah. net. You and Abana, all right. First, you had to get permission from the wife. Uh, had to, yeah. You certainly do. So this is going back to what's the what's the uh, what's my best advice? Ask the missus. <laughs> Run everything through the missus, right? So, you know, interesting story, Abana and I pulled out the whiteboard. I had a really good uh, offer um, at the time. It was 2019. I had a really good offer from another firm in town uh, and it was ideal. The pay was good. The territories were good. Everything was good and it was a great opportunity. But I thought, you know, if we're going to grow a family, if we're going to get married, this is a good opportunity to venture out on my own to see the last thing I want is, you know, what if? I don't want to look back and think, what if I would have done this? Or, you know, what would life have been if I, you know, tried, right? Or if I didn't try. And so uh, we went to the whiteboard. This is how we formed One Oak. Abana and I went to the whiteboard and uh, literally established several different uh, columns of, you know, uh, benefits for both the corporate world and the entrepreneurial world. And we found at the very end, this was a two-hour meeting that we we discussed each topic and, um, it, you know, one oak came out on top. I think a lot of this that you said is also kind of relatable to what we spoke about in our episode that we released in July, you know, for the love of money. And I feel like, I don't know, maybe, maybe when I look at, you know, the United States and 
the people that at least I know. And then we look at all the congressional members. I mean, everything's driven by money here in, in, in the country. Um, but it seems to me that a lot of people are illiterate when it comes to finance, uh, when it comes to building wealth. Um, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And then you throw that in with the whole, you know, cryptocurrency now and Ethereum networks mm -hmm. and, and things of that nature. And it just seems like, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's setting apart, you know, that, that the haves and have not. So I guess my question to you is what can Americans do, you know, to become more literate financially, you know, to ensure that they set themselves and their families and their businesses up for that, you know, long-term success. We're in an age where knowledge is no longer, you know, I mean, knowledge is, is openly available, right? And so it's a resource that everyone has access to these days. And I think informing yourself of, of you know, kind of what is right now and, and um, understanding how money works, it's uh, something that we all have access to. So I think first and foremost, that's the first objective that should be top of list is um, informing yourself and, uh, and understanding that the decisions that you make or a direct reflection of how you informed yourself, or if you, or if you didn't, right? Um, in America and just worldwide, we no longer have that excuse—the excuse that I didn't know, or um, you know, no one told me. Right. Anything that I tell you today or or in the future is something that I've you know went out and learned. Anything that you can share with me in your respective careers is something that you've had to intentionally learn. So intent, having the intent to go and and um, and educate yourself. Dray, I'm going to point it on you because you have been very diligent about educating yourself. Yeah. And there's like a lot of posts that we'll share back and forth on like social media. And I imagine you probably do this, you know, with Tony as well, like send him, you know, DMs on Instagram. But it, it's it's wild to me to see, you know, the amount of ignorance that we see out there. And then you're, you know maybe not playing by the rules and and i don't mean that like the in the in the, in the negative sense but i mean like playing by the rules in the traditional sense of just having the 401k like you're looking to optimize your long-term future whether it's an investment in real estate so on and so forth so i mean where do you kind of fit in with what you know tony just said on like you know or or physically or mentally right i'm just trying to optimize myself as a human being uh that exists uh on earth today in 2021 um, Tony's absolutely right, right? Taking personal responsibility and accountability. Uh, and what I think this is a good time uh, for Tony to share with us are his six pillars, right? The kind of, he has like a framework uh, at One Oak that he uses. And I think, you know, everything works off of a framework, uh, whether you're in the military, whether hopefully, whether you're in, uh, you know, corporate America, they have some frameworks in place so you don't have to re recreate the, the wheel every time. Uh, that'd be cool. Uh, and Tony also has them. Uh, and I think he can add on to or kind of give people a, a place to start and understand where their position is and, and kind of go from there. Uh, the when they need to figure out what they need to, to know, right? You, like, if you don't know what you don't know. Like, where do you start? Where do you start? So yeah. Tony's framework is a great place. Well, D-Ray is a great inspiration in terms of being very consistent with his... Um, with his kind of yearning to optimize his life, right? That's something that I've always admired about D from the from the day I've met him is that um, you know there's no off days, right? Just 
consistency. But um, but just transitioning into that framework, when you speak to a financial planner, just um, there's different planners will tell you that there's different frameworks and uh, no one's wrong. Some will have four pillars, some will have six, others might have eight to 10. Um, our six uh, are all aligned with anything that another financial planner would say. And I'll, I'll explain this in just a bit. Uh, but the six are financial position. And well, that's your first. And the financial position essentially explains where we're at now. Before that, I can help you as a financial planner, I have to understand what's what right now, right? Take stock of, you know, what is. Um, and in doing so, we all in our process, we establish objectives, short term, long term objectives, We make it very simple for our clients. Uh, but that's the first uh, pillar financial position. Your second is going to be risk management. So before you can build on anything, we make sure that we have to assure that you have a solid financial foundation. This comes in the form of risk management. So protecting your family, your income, your retirement. Um, investments. Uh, investing is, is also referred to as wealth accumulation. This is also very important because once you've established the financial position, uh, mitigated your risk, um, now you're in a position where you can efficiently grow, right? Some will grow conservatively, some will grow aggressively and everything in between. So the investments is the third pillar. Um, tax strategies is something that from now until day of death, you will have to uh, understand and implement those uh, also efficiently, making sure that you're mitigating taxes. The, the best way to make money is to not have to pay out money with taxes, right? It's kind of one of the easiest ways that we teach our clients that, um, that we can continue or, or build on your wealth is to mitigate the taxes. Uh, retirement. Retirement is a major component of, of your comprehensive plan because what you do today, whether that's 40, 50, 20 years from retirement, affects how you're going to have uh, your, your income streams. And then the last one is estate planning, right? Making sure that you're um, legally and uh, you've legally positioned yourself so that you have the right um, documentation to protect your family, your heirs, and making sure that you know, things move as, as they should. Um, you know, when you pass on your, your legacy to your family. I can't stress how important that is. You know, my step grandfather passed away earlier this year. And I know that my grandmother is having significant issues with, you know, his will and then things not being tied up correctly. And it's a nightmare um, situation for her. As a banker, um, I dealt with this probably once a week, I would have, you know, a lot of people don't realize many times that they're an executor of an estate. And if the estate owner passes and they're now called upon to, to manage the affairs, the financial affairs, um, one, you're having to deal with the loss of a loved one. That mm -hmm. in itself is, is a burden. And then having to go to different facilities, understand what's in place. You know, a lot of people don't understand, you know, the financial elements of someone else of their life, much less someone else's life. And now they're being ordered to, you know, make the necessary changes. So that's, that's a burden in itself. Um, so yeah, you're absolutely right. I've, I've had people cry in my office. 
um, just overwhelmed, just kind of lose themselves because now they're burdened with this pressure on top of loss of a loved one. And it's, uh, you know, it's something that you hate to see. The lesson learned there is, you know, set up the appropriate documents, utilize the right resources in, in your estate planning attorneys uh, and your financial advisors, your CPAs and such, and just plan, right? Planning will avoid all of this. How, how often do you recommend people do that? You know, because I think the old thought was, you know, after you, you're married, you have kids, you're a little bit older, more established. That's when you set up, you know, the will, the estate, all of that. Um, but people, you know, in their 20s pass away from a car accident or, uh, you know, a, a, an illness. And, you know, they, they might have assets and then it just becomes, I don't know, it, it just becomes even more difficult for the family. So like, how when should people start? planning for that. And I know it's kind of a dark subject for some people, but like, when should people start considering that? And how often should they update that information? Yeah, I, I think there's the right time is now, right? Just as with any financial planning, uh, especially when you your assets begin to grow. And, uh, and, you know, there, you have family, um, if you want to remove that burden from the family, the time is now and, and reassessing on an annual basis when you reassess your your financial plan. So I think that's the appropriate time is now and then at least on an annual basis. Dray, I'm going to go ahead and put this in the record. If something happens to me in the next year, you get my podcasting and camera equipment. I like it's it. On record. <laughs> I'll, I'll, take it. I'll take it. I, I had to blow the dust off my stuff, so I don't know. <laughs> no, I'll find something to do with it, though. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. I uh, was, uh, you know, I my dad is 69 years old and you know, I think about all the stuff that I've learned in business school and Tony and I had a conversation about that uh, going to business school. One of the best decisions I've ever made uh, because you know, I got to learn how money is made and where it, where it comes from the magical place uh, that it, it comes from and the decisions that I would have made 10 years ago, just, I would have made different decisions. And you know, my dad being 69, him and his wife own a house uh, and they financed it through a third party and their, their interest rate is insane. Insane. It's almost double digits. Almost. That's how, that's how insane it is. And I can't even fathom, like it blows my mind to think about that. And they bought that house, you know, 14 years ago, uh, and they paid down very little on the principal. They have, no, they have no equity in that house. Right. That so sucks. the best thing they can do is probably get out of it. Uh, but you know, 14 years of sentimental value there. They've had, you know, kids that they raised there. Well, at least, you know, my, my dad's wife. Uh, so now I'm in a, in a bit of a, a situation trying to like, uh, educate them on what their options are, especially they're 68 and 69 and, you know, maybe they live another 40 years, mm -hmm. but you know, let's position you guys in a place where, you know, that isn't a burden. Let's start thinking about that. Um, D-Ray, props to you for trying to educate, stepping in and trying to do the right thing. Um, no shocker there. Um, I think this is a great opportunity and you bring up a great point. This is where we help people understand your options mm -hmm. and what the most uh, optimizing or what, what, what the most optimal option is yeah. in terms of long-term um, outcome, right? Is... I deal with this all the time and, and the problems come in various forms is in this case, they paid too much money over, you know, X amount of years. Okay. Uh, I'm a big fan of, you know, let's start 
today. Like what's what, right? Let's learn from that and then let's make the right decisions going forth. So I deal with that all the time. Um, I had a client, this is kind of getting off topic, but um, I had a client recently that has been part of corporate America for 13 years. And he asked me if I could uh, take a look at his 401k, just kind of casually take a look at it. And uh, he had all his money in cash in a money market fund over 13 years. So you talk about 13 years of potential compounding at an, in, you know, moderate to aggressive fund, it had only grown, uh, I think like a few thousand dollars. Right. Jeez. And, uh, and so I explained to him the, the target date funds, very simple. And he, you know, he reallocated. And in the last six months, he's made like $7,000, not a lot of money to, to most people. Right. But the idea that He's foregone 13 years of compounded interest. Heartbreaking when I saw it. I didn't want to tell him, you know, what he should have had in his balance today. Um, but those are the stories that we hear time and time again, where, uh, you know, it's it's unfortunate to say the least. And all we can do is, is plan for a better tomorrow. Right. So canned response. Uh, but but it's uh, reality. I will throw in this anecdote real quick. If you are working in corporate America, make sure that you find a job that has some sort of matching program uh, and ideally a good matching program. Uh, you know, the company that I was at before had a good matching program for 401k. It was 7%. The company that mm. I'm at now, it's like 1%. And so mm. it's it's, you know, they might be listening right now, but I think this is, uh, you know, this is something that we've talked about that, you know, like the, the, the benefits and, uh, you know, the 401k, that stuff matters. Um, so, you know, if, if, if you're not getting that percentage or that matching percentage, you know, try to find other ways to, to compensate. And again, I, I don't have financial advice, but. Well, I do. I'm not a subject matter expert. I'm just saying uh, contribute 10%. Just, yeah. just do it. Uh, See, that's that's hard to say, right? You know, um, I know everybody's position is different. Well, I'm just right. what D Ray would do when bonus time comes around. Keep that same energy, okay? Keep that same ten percent. I'm telling you, just let it do its thing. Uh, that's one of the challenges, right? Behavior. I mean, the old the underlining theme there is behavior. A lot of people won't do that, right? Yeah. Uh, I made ten percent bonus. Now I get to spend ten percent bonus, mm -hmm. right? And so, no, you're absolutely right. If you are in a position where you can contribute more, especially if you've gotten a raise or a bonus, um, then that's the ideal thing to do. It's hard to say everyone should do that if, um, you know, a majority of people have high interest debt, right? Yeah. That's kind of the yep. problem. Focus on the debt uh, first. Right. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. If you're in a position, contribute more. And then the 1% thing, Austin, um, you know, you may be compensated more through other benefits, right? So right. it's not as easy as like the the match component is higher here. So I'll go there. Um, I'm sure there's several variables that you have to consider in determining, you know, if the seven percent or the one percent, you know, outweighs the others. And I think it is a little bit different too when you work at a global Fortune ten company versus a company that has thirty five people. Yeah. So it's 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 a little bit different in the uh, you know the compensation. Right. Side of things. But I, D Ray, I do want to, I'm going to turn it over to you in a moment, I promise. But you, you talked about that 10%. Uh, I, one of my last shows right before COVID was up in Chicago and uh, I was meeting with uh, uh, Mike, who I think you've, you've, mm -hmm. you've met before. Yeah. And uh, he had worked with the company for, I think, 30 plus years. 
And from day one in the company, he started putting 20% of his salary into his 401k. Beautiful. He over 30, over dual, 30 years. Dual income household right there. That's yeah, I mean, marriage. Yeah. But I mean, that that's, that's incredible. And now he's, you know, mid fifties, retired, playing golf, loving it. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. It's one of the yeah. marvels of the universe is compound compounding. Yeah. Uh, but but if you're on the right side of it, as opposed to, you know, where my dad is, uh, that's a hard spot, hard spot to be in. But, you know, yeah. I was saying that, like, he just, he didn't know, they didn't know any better. Uh, and, you know, I started asking my dad, you know, what's the interest rate on your house? Oh, how much is your mortgage payment? How much do you have left to pay on the house? And he didn't know these things, right? He's a 69-year-old man. And I'd never asked him these questions before, but he's had people, you know, through that house that have never asked him these questions. It's just like, well, no one knows to ask these questions. And then, you know, I'm about today. Let's do it today. So I'm, I'm biased towards action. Let's fix it. In the spirit of sharing ideas, what's the solution there, right? Because if, if we're in an age where all of the resources are available, all the knowledge is available with a click of a button, but people still do not educate themselves, what's the solution there? And, and you made a good point about the compounding effect being on the opposite end. If you're using it appropriately to grow your, your investments, your wealth, then good for you, right? Um, but the, the majority of Americans don't. They use it um, or it works against them in, in uh, a debt capacity, which, um, you know, they should know that how that works too, right? But because they don't, it's... Um, it's widening the wealth gap. So, so what's the solution there? Education. We had a, a podcast on that, didn't we? Didn't we, Austin? <laughs> we did. And we're, we're going to have another podcast in uh, season two. We've already got a guest lined up. So, yes, how we said that, uh, you know, the education that you get is almost, you know, some of a lot of it's worthless. It's like that was useless for me to learn that stuff. Uh, we talked about that too, D Ray. Um, off air, we talked about Austin, um, you know, there's so much information, right? That that can be a crutch. And um, this is, and D-Ray said, you know, this is one of the, the bad things about all of the knowledge out there is that some of it's good, some of it's bad. And I said, you know, to you, it's bad. To me, someone like myself, I think it's a great thing because I understand that, you know, all of this uh, information out there may or may not be relevant to your specific situation. And so my value now increases as an advisor because I get to understand who you are, understand what your objectives are, help you define your objectives, and then extract all of, you know, extract from all of the information that's out there and align it with, you know, why it's important to you, right? Um, so I think that's really important too, is just, is this is where we add our value in extracting that information. Do you find that helpful, you know, that there are financial influencers on, I hate, that's a weird term that I never thought I'd use, financial influencers, but do you think it's weird that there are, or a good thing for you, that there are financial influencers on like YouTube who actually do have good advice, and maybe people see that, they don't have the access to, you know, somebody on YouTube that lives out in LA, but they know you, or they know, you know, a friend or a family member that is a financial advisor, financial planner. Um, that can provide them counsel. And maybe they, I don't know, maybe they at least have some basis for education, not that they learned it in school, but because they saw it on YouTube. I mean, does that kind of make sense a little bit? Uh, it makes perfect sense. And um, I would defer to my original answer in terms of, 
because there's so much information, this is where my value goes up, right? Because I get to say that YouTuber, what he's saying doesn't align with what your objective is, right? Um, I think it's absolutely great that there are, you know, there there are outlets that people can educate themselves, right? Um, what's bad is when people want to apply one frame of mind to, you know, everyone in America, because that's just not reality, right? One of the, one that we know about is um, uh, George. Is it Ramsey? Oh gosh! Dave Ramsey, Don't George. listen to Dave Ramsey. <laughs> no, Dave Ramsey. So, so uh, a lot of advisors are not, you know, high on Dave Ramsey. And but the reality is, Dave appeals to a certain demographic, right? The conservatives. Uh, the, you know, the buy term, invest the rest, or don't go into debt, don't use credit cards. That can work. That can technically work and people can feel good about themselves applying that logic. So the idea that he's wrong, well, that's all relative, right? He's wrong to some people, but he's completely right to others that, yeah. you know, like living by that model. So um, it's all relative, I think. Play the points game. That's, yeah, that's I, I've been getting my parents into that a little bit. My, my parents, they had like one credit card, the, the Amex green, which is like no fees. And, uh, you know, they didn't quite want to go with, you know, the the Chase or the Amex Platinum. So I recommended that they get the uh, uh, Amex Gold because I think that aligned with a lot of their spending, like 4X points on restaurants, 4X points on uh, groceries. And we were at a restaurant a few months ago and my mom pulls out the Amex Green to pay for the bill. And I was like, Mom, where's your where's your gold card? And uh, she was like, Oh, I left it at home. I don't bring it out much. I'm like, Mom, you should you're you're wasting like potentially 4x points, which could mean right. you could travel to here. And so yeah, yeah. Po- I'm a point snob. And that's the beef that I have with Dave Ramsey. So. Uh, yeah, points are great. Uh, I know we've used ours, especially during the wedding. So here's another tip. Um, during the wedding, you know, uh, make sure you got the right credit card. Um, when applicable and uh rack up those points because um you know that's a great opportunity to do that i love i love that uh i'm not afraid of debt i'm not afraid of credit cards uh i you know use it like a like a debit card quite honestly you know i have i have a substantial amount of uh a substantial credit line both business credit line and personal credit line but Mm -hmm. i keep them at zero or very near to it. Or if I pay interest on something, it's like, you know, you get a 15 month promo at zero interest. Uh, so I'm not paying, if I'm paying something over time, I'm trying to say, uh, I try to stay away from paying interest by, except on my house or houses, I should say. Uh, and even my truck, I drive a 2002 Dodge Ram, five speed manual, windows and locks. Yeah, I just, although I'm getting a new truck, but it'll be at zero interest because, you know, Board is awesome. Uh, you know, something, something I learned recently was you know, with business credit, when you're utilizing, so with personal credit, when we maximize our, our lines, it hurts us, right? Negatively yeah. affects the credit score. Uh, my understanding is, is that this is completely opposite when it comes to business lines. I don't know, D-Ray, if you're familiar with this, but uh, if you're maxing out your lines, but paying on time, this ac- actually positively affects your credit score. Yeah, I think the fundamentals sit a little different, uh, you know, because they're going to want to see your business has you know, revenue coming in and sure. they're going to be looking over your financials a little bit differently than they do, uh, you know, your personal issues. Uh, just because I think there are more variables or more things that could happen in your personal life. Right. Stuff and there's no protection. Right. Your business is protected. 
Uh, I'm not necessarily certain, but it makes sense. Uh, My dad's issue with the house. So my solution, you asked about solutions. Mm. I'm going to tell you what I I shared with my dad. I was like, you could refinance the house. I guess, you know, I mean, you guys, social security, low income earners. I don't know that that's going to work out or uh, we could sell the house. I'll buy you guys a different house, rent it back to you at cost. That's it. Get you guys from out of that house, get you into something more comfortable, something that you like, something that you're not stuck in, you know, take care of all the, the, the grass being cut and the, the snow being shoveled. Uh, and you guys can hopefully live another 40 years you know, in that house. That was, that was my solution. Cause they, you know, yeah. So how did they respond to that? You know, there's sentimental value in that house. And, uh, you know, it's like trying to buy a business and the seller is like, I want to sell it, but not really. Right. <laughs> yeah, that, that's tough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's hard to navigate. Uh, I think, uh, you know, one of the big components of being an advisor that I learned early on was um, what we say and that what we how we educate our clients is very important, but even more so is the relationship that we have and understanding kind of where their uh, behaviors Mm -hmm. and psychology is around money, right? Because you don't want to, sure, the right thing to do in this position may be to sell, get a cost or get a home and and rent it at cost. Uh, Emotionally, that's not even a question, right? That's not the right thing to do. So so this is a big component of understanding or uh, providing the right solutions to our clients is understand, you know, how they think emotionally, what, um, you know, what is going to be the right solution for them based on the financial element and the emotional psychological element as well. Yeah. I realize it's going to take some finesse. Uh, Yeah. And going through my enterprise acquisition course, you know, when you're in meeting with the seller, you know, you want to know what they want, what are they trying to achieve? Hmm. And then, you know, kind of finessing it because I could, I could sit down with the model and show you the numbers uh, and tell you what's best for you in this situation. Like, you know, wagging my finger at you. Uh, But, you know, like you said, it's people do business with people. Right. Uh, So I had to circle back, take a different approach. uh, And we're going to have another conversation about that, but it just goes to the fact that they are 68 and 69 years old and like, this is a conversation that I'm having with them, Austin. They should be, that house should be almost paid off, you know, halfway paid. They didn't pay, you know, $100,000 for that house. It was a very inexpensive house in Davenport, Iowa. It's, it's tough, you know, because I think our parents have similar backgrounds in terms of like education, yeah, um, finance. And, you know, I, I've had to give advice to my parents and recommend that they go speak to, you know, advisors, because this is clearly not my expertise. Um, but at least I know enough about what you should do to point them in the right direction. And the good thing is, is they're still open to learning and adapting, which is great. I mean, it's awesome if you can start doing this when you're 21, 22, but it's never... Yeah. And it's never too late to stop or start. Um, there are things that, you know, when we spoke on this, uh, on the, uh, on the first time we talked about money that, you know, I wish I would have done differently, you know, mm-hmm. like 
knowing how to use a credit card and why maxing out your credit card and refusing to pick up the call from the debt collectors is a bad <laughs> idea. But, you know, I, I was I went from, like I said, 22, 23 years old, having a shitty credit score below 600 to now it's over 800. And I'm in a much better position than I was because luckily I got slapped in the face, you know, 12 years, 12, 13 years ago and had an eye opening at that age that, hey, you got to change some stuff, um, you know, and I'm fortunate that it happened in my early 20s instead of being in my 40s or my 50s or nearing retirement or something like that. So, I mean, it's such a great point, right, is learning from those lessons early on. I made really bad decisions uh, early on as well, but we learned from them. Um, I think, unfortunately, a lot of people don't. Yeah. And they wait too long before they make money a priority. It's one of these things that money will always be there, just like your health, right? Um, whether you avoid it or intentionally make the right decisions, um, money's always going to be one of these factors that you'll have to at some point address it. So the earlier, the better are obviously the version I am of, you know, today isn't who I was at 20 years old, different priorities. Right. Um, so, I mean, even the version of you now, isn't the same as it was two years ago, you know, before you got married, ago. before you had a kid, you know, I mean, right life changes things. And, and, and uh, you know, one of the top or one of the big pushes nowadays is to educate kids or people, uh, high school, middle school kids, uh, financial literacy in general, right? Uh, for people of all ages. Uh, and so that's something that uh, I think needs to change in terms of getting people more comfortable with money's a taboo, right? Money's not something we just come out and talk about. It's politics, it's religion, it's money. So, um, I think as a society, once we you know, progress to, to having these open conversations about money and, and the right things to do, uh, this is going to be key in terms of you know, more and more people making those decisions. So, Tony, uh, I've got to ask you this. You know, I've, I've been in the, uh, the crypto space for a bit, and I'm not saying that I'm like that crypto boy who has like, you know, 80% of my financial investments in like Bitcoin or Ethereum, but I've dabbled a little bit. And, uh, you know, I think it's good to diversify. And who knows, maybe, maybe it fails. Uh, and if it does, that's fine. You know, it's not a significant portion. But in the last few weeks, I've been dabbling a little bit in uh, Ethereum and Web3 and squatting on domain names of things that I think could blow up in the next 10 to 15 years. Am I stupid for doing that? <laughs> so I'll tell you a story and then you tell me if you're stupid. Um, two years ago, a good friend of mine took out $200,000 in lines of credit. I mean, he maxed out his credit cards. He uh, went to the bank, every bank that would would um, lend to him, um, you know, converted all assets into liquidity and bought Bitcoin and Ethereum. I'm not advocating this approach. Uh, I'm not saying anyone should do this. I'm just telling a story and, and I'm going somewhere with this. Um, he made a million dollars in one year, right? So when you say, is this stupid? Well, I would say, um, how does it fit into your overall picture? What is it doing? One of the key things that you said is, if it doesn't, or if I lose it, then that's fine. So what you've done is you've identified this element of your portfolio, this 
you know, piece of your portfolio that you're willing to lose. Uh, and that's very important. So is it stupid? That's all relative, right? Are you putting all your money, uh, your family's money into Ethereum or any crypto or these, you know, really volatile um, uh, assets? Yeah, that's not the ideal thing to do, right? But of all of your, you know, growth allocated uh, investments, um, have you identified a portion that you're willing to lose and invest in? Then that's a more sound approach. And that's, you know, between the two, I would say, then that's, you know, something that I would be okay with. Perfect. I look at it as like sports betting a little bit, like, you know, a little entertainment. If it loses, it loses. Speculation. You know, yeah, exactly. But if it hits, and I've got some really solid perspective ones that I'm excited about. And I also essentially bet on a few entertainers as well to blow up. So Emmanuel Acho, if you want your ether name, give me a call. So. <laughs> uh, but, the, you know, and it's it's the trend, right? The trend of crypto, Web3, yeah. um, the metaverse. Um, sure, there's potential in all of these, I think. And um, if you can expose yourself to, if you can take the aggressive component of your portfolio and, and just kind of divvy it up between whichever you've obviously done your homework and, and you've made an educated decision, then that's different than just kind of throwing, you know, throwing money at something you're not familiar with. Yeah, I do think it's interesting, though, because we've seen like Anheuser-Busch get into the space. I mean, they spent like six figures on acquiring beer.eth. Uh, you know, like if you look at, I, I looked at all the major oil companies as well, D-Ray, because I thought that might be a good idea. Uh -huh. uh, I think BP's, somebody bought that, I think for like two or three years ago for like 90,000. And so I imagine that'll be a sale price, but I'm going to give a little hint right now. The domains for, I think, Exxon and Shell come available in the next few months. So we might have a bidding war for that. So. There will be winners and losers. You're going to be hard pressed to find any company these days that is not involved in the crypto space. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and they've done just that. They've they've identified, you know, what portion of their own portfolio is a company that they can, you know, can invest aggressively. So, um, you know, just as you know, personal um, financial decisions are made, uh, a lot of times businesses make, you know, with the same objectives with the same thought process um you know why they're getting into that space yeah i think that's i think that's a show i think we did an amazing job tony thank you so much uh for for joining us from la interrupting your your family vacation uh, to spend some time with us here on cautious coffee we hope to have you back maybe chat about something else uh not sure what that might be but uh before we get out of here any any you know parting words advice Really the yeah. piece, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, so uh, we talked about this, we talked about kind of top five things that I would recommend people do in terms of whether you're comfortable or you want to become more comfortable with making financial decisions. There are a lot of things that we can do in terms of um, making our, um, putting ourselves in a better position financially. Top five, I would say, and this is not in any particular order, but I would say, uh, first thing is, well, I guess this is, uh, first thing is, is planning, right? Um, the top five mistakes. For, so the first one would be putting off planning. Uh, just like any other plan in our lives, the sooner that we can plan, the better, right? So uh, putting off planning is going to be the first one. 
Uh, second would be failing to save for emergency purposes. Uh, I read an article the other day that 60% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, 40% that are earning over $100,000 are living paycheck to paycheck. That's a lot, right? If you're earning, you think of, you know, six figure income, you think, you know, people, you're good, you're comfortable. It's not that That's much not money. reality, right? Um, um, the third one would be positioning, positioning yourself for retirement. Too many people... Uh, put off retirement until it's time to retire. And that's really not the optimal time to do that. Um, 18% of people feel confident in retiring. That means 82% don't, right? So, so, so then what, what are we to do? Then we, we plan, right? We plan accordingly. So don't put off retirement. Number four would be the, the, we talked about debt. So not acquiring too much debt, knowing your budget, knowing how much you have in terms of your debt to income ratios, uh, understanding these things and, and, you know, not putting yourself in that negative compounding position that D Ray talked about. Uh, and then finally, um, not protecting your assets, not protecting. We talked about, we, uh, help you to understand and, and protect your family, your income and your retirement in that order. So, uh, you know, too many times we see these, the appropriate protection, policies aren't in place, uh, which can have a big negative impact on your your overall financial picture. So um, these are top five. And uh, I'd love to come on at a uh, you know, future date and share some more, uh, at least anything that I can to enhance, you know, for, for you all, enhance your knowledge and uh, for your viewers. But um, that's it. That's all I got. I'm thinking habits. We're going to, we're going to, you know, pivot into habits and, you know, it kind of aligns with money and people's habits and how it, you know, your habits make your life. Yeah. So. That's, that's a whole show. And I'd love to <laughs> we'll do it in person. We'll do it in person. <laughs> I would love to. Yeah. yeah. I'll be back in uh, in a couple of weeks. So you bet, tell me But well, uh, Tony, it's been absolutely wonderful having you on this episode of cautious coffee. And uh, if you want to follow Tony and all the work that he's doing, uh, just scroll down in the show notes below and we've got his contact information there. And we hope to have Tony back in a future episode. Tony, it's been great having you today. We appreciate it. Yeah, it's good. great to be here, guys. D-Ray, that was, that was fun. I enjoyed it. Good, good. I'm glad. I'm glad Tony's a good dude. Absolutely. Absolutely. Any uh, any parting words as we wrap up uh, You know, this episode and maybe season one, our last episode for sure, 2021? It is. I guess it is, unless you want to do one. We can squeeze another one in. Two episodes in eight days? Yeah. I mean, eh, no. <laughs> I don't know if I have COVID or not. So. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'm, I was a little concerned about you. I was, I was wondering what, uh, you know, what, what version of Austin am, am I going to see? The energetic Austin. I mean, I feel great. Um, again, tested negative today. So, um, and the other person that, that he exposed tested negative as well. So, we'll see. Yeah, it's a, a crapshoot. Yeah, but well, that's life. But <laughs> well, yeah. it's been. It's been fun doing this uh, podcast with you for season one, and we've committed to doing 100 episodes. So we've still got 80 more to go, and uh, you know, hopefully, we'll be able to do most, if not all, in person in uh, 2022. Maybe we'll, you know, knock out a few episodes. Maybe we'll travel uh, and yeah. go to interview people. And I've got some fun ideas. A lot to talk about. There that, we but, go. It's all yeah. about making those ideas come to life, and uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. I, I get pumped up. Uh, you know, when I come on and we start, I, you know, I get the momentum going, and I want to keep recording. I want to go yeah. into the next episode. 
but this was great. Uh, and I want to finish out season one, give the folks what we promised them. And then we'll start plotting on season two. I would like, if we can, season two to do an episode in another country with a stranger. That's my goal for season two. We'll see if that we can make that happen. Very doable. Very doable. Very doable. All right. Well, that's that's enough from G-Ray and I. Uh, CautiousCoffee.com, at CautiousCoffee on all the uh, social media platforms if you want to follow us there. But D-Ray, send us home. We are one episode away from finishing out season two. We promise you 20 episodes. We're going to give you 20 episodes if it's the last thing we do. Like <laughs> season one is not ending until we hit 20 episodes. I don't care if it's 2023. Uh, but like Austin said, follow us. Uh, everywhere at Cautious Coffee on social, go to our website, slide in our DMs, give us some some uh, good topics, some Cautious Coffee uh, topics to kick off 2022. And uh, we hope to hear from you all soon. Until next time. See ya. See ya.